um, I'm going to invite you to grab your Bible, or if you so desire, we actually have these, we call them pew Bibles, even though you're sitting in metal chairs, on the way in the doors, that you're welcome to grab each week when you come in. Those are kind of uh, our church Bibles, meaning those are, (laughs) is my wife getting one? Well, obviously designed to stay here, so that's great. Um, well, we're walking through this series called At the Movies, and as we're looking at this series, we're just basically taking movies and pulling themes out and talking about uh, these themes as they relate to God's Word. And this week, uh, we couldn't really pass up the summer without doing a Finding Dory theme. Um, our focus, uh, if you've not somehow seen the Finding Nemo and yet to see the Finding Dory, is The Search. Uh, in the first movie, The Search for the Sun. In the second movie... I can't quite tell you that because I haven't seen it yet. But this morning, we're going to talk about the search for Jesus Christ. Because it would be our contention that every single person that you come in contact with, in some way, shape, or form, is searching for something in their life and some type of fulfillment in their life. For some people, they've like latched on to it 80, 90% of how they think they find their fulfillment in life. And some are clearly in the searching category for the greatest percent of their life. And so what I want to do this morning is I want to just talk to you and walk you through a scripture where the Apostle Paul is actually in the same type of situation. He's recognizing in a certain city that people are actually looking for Jesus. They're looking for something. But here's the interesting thing about this story. There's no, like, clear evidence that would tell you it's Jesus Christ they're looking for until Paul is actually allowed to share with them, hey, here's what I think's missing in your life. And so we're going to walk through this passage. If you have your Bibles, Acts chapter 17. And so uh, if you would turn there, um, I'm really excited because I, I found my glasses. So this morning I will actually be able to see the text that I'm reading you. Uh, sometimes I'm half making it up. Um, that's not really true. But this morning, I, mean, I can literally with confidence tell you what I'm looking at is actually legit. Acts chapter 17, starting in verse 16. And all we're going to do is walk through about five verses here this morning and just chat a little bit about these passages. Now, there's a couple cross-reference verses I'd like to bring your attention to that don't show up in the, the little handout that you got. In fact, the handout you got is just the passage of Acts chapter 17, verse 16, all the way through 34. I'm just going to walk you through verse 20 so you've got plenty of reading material for your own devotion time this week. If you so desire, there's plenty of space there. You can write some notes in or you can write these extra passages that will be on the screen that I want to walk you through this morning. Acts chapter 17, uh, verse 16. We find out here uh, if you, your Bible is one that has headings in them before certain paragraphs. The original authors, the writers did not put those headings in. They were put by editors later to help you be able to find sections in the Bible. The section says, maybe in your Bible, Paul in Athens. Sound about right to you? Paul in Athens. And that's what we want to look at this morning. It says this, verse 16, while Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was deeply troubled by all the idols he saw everywhere in the city. Now, the idea of idols everywhere here, uh, as, as we read this, is that they were literally like everywhere. Like you couldn't go with an eye shot and not see idols to certain gods in this 
town. Now, Athens had been like the center of commerce and a financial hub uh, at a certain time. But by the time Paul is walking through this town, it, it no longer is that kind of city. So don't necessarily picture the commerce center like a New York City, a Chicago, Tokyo, those kind of towns. But it had become the center for like art and philosophy and creative thinking. In fact, if you've studied your history, if you remember walking through it uh, in your elementary or I guess it's more junior high, high school days, you might remember hitting a class that kind of talked about these, this town of Athens. It's where like Socrates got his start and Aristotle got his start. That's what we're talking about. The art and the philosophy was the hub of this town of Athens. And so as he's walking through here, we find that the town is filled with idols. In secular uh, uh, writings, we actually have this passage that writes that it was easier to run into an idol than it was a man in the town of Athens. So you can see what we're talking about here, and even people of that day, how they would describe these idols to all types of God with headings on there. This is like the setting that Paul is in. And we find, the scripture tells us in verse 16 there, that he was deeply troubled, deeply disturbed, maybe is what your translation says. Now, this is not one of those like disturbs in God's word that would be like, yeah, bummer, that stinks. But this is like deep, like gut-wrenching, tear-your-heart-out type of distress and struggle at what is being seen here. If you want to keep your finger there, you can turn with me all the way back to the book of Deuteronomy chapter 1, and we find that the story goes in Deuteronomy chapter 1 about uh, God's people being disobedient to God and not following God. And when God is looking on his people, what he is seeing is what's described in Scripture in several places in the Old Testament. He's seeing like godlessness. Meaning he looks at them, and even though he's, they are his chosen people, he looks upon them and he says, you are, don't, you are not carrying the characteristic of who I am at this moment. Take it to verse 34, when he heard the people actually complaining to him. It says this, when the Lord heard your complaint, he became what? Angry. Now know that this word in Hebrew is the same word that's translated to get this Greek word for deeply disturbed, troubled at what he's seeing. So here's Paul. He's sent to this town and he is just killing time, right? Waiting, walking around and taking in the sights and he becomes incredibly disturbed, borderline angry at what he's looking at. What is it he's really disturbed about is we find the same thing that God is describing in his people in Deuteronomy is that he is looking and he's saying, here is a town of godlessness. Here's a town that does, has no Jesus Christ. And in fact, if you look in Athens at the time, what you will, will recognize that this was not a city at the time that had any like Bible-believing Christian church at the time. That, that didn't exist in, in this time in in Athens. And so Paul is disturbed by this. He struggles at looking at this. I wonder at times, does it ever disturb you when you look upon culture, when you look upon groups, when you look upon settings, 
and there's this feeling, this overwhelming feeling of godlessness. That there's non-Jesus Christ type of setting. And does it ever move your heart? Does it, does it trouble you at all? Does it bring to you a point where, where you're like, this doesn't, this doesn't set well with me in this setting? I remember a time I went to, uh, speaking of our speaker who's coming on July 10th, I, I went to the Forum in Atlanta. That's like where the Lakers used to, I said Atlanta, I meant LA. That's where like the Lakers used to play, the Forum in Los Angeles. And I went to a WWF at the time, it was called Wrestling Event. Now, I was pretty excited about it at the time. I don't know what I was, but I was a young Christian. So somewhere around 17, 18 years old there uh, was when I became a Christian. So we went to this event, about five guys and I, and we were sitting on the second row at the forum, our second deck, somewhere in the first few rows. And as we're watching this, it came to like main event time. And this was like in Hulk Hogan times of wrestling, though he wasn't actually wrestling on this card. And, uh, one of the popular wrestlers was, was in the ring wrestling. And you know, like they do, the, the wrestlers have to grab the microphone and give their speech to the audience and get the audience all hyped up and revved up and excited about either what they just did or what they're about to do. And so this wrestler happened to do that. He grabbed the mic and he started to talk and say things. Well, this wrestler actually had this little dialogue where he would say something and the crowd would chant back. And I wasn't quite familiar with this because I wasn't quite as into it. Um, But this was going on. It was back and forth and it was kind of the same phrase going back and forth. But something changed. Uh, He threw profanity into it. Chanted right back. Back and forth, back and forth. Profanity, profanity, profanity. Like 12,000 people, somewhat around my age, uh, many that were younger than me, I was 17, 18 at the time, kids, shouting this, this profanity and enjoying what was happening. Have you ever been in a setting where you're just deeply disturbed? Deeply disturbed saying this, this is godlessness. This doesn't honor God's name, Christ, in the least. Paul was in that setting. Paul here was deeply disturbed on what he was seeing. Here's a problem. Let me just stop for a second before we hit this next verse. For many of us who say we're believers in Jesus Christ, sadly, that is where we stop. We stop there. I'm disturbed. I'm angry. I'm upset. What's going on in our culture? What's going on in our world? What's happening in my workplace? On and on and on. And we stop right there. Can I just tell you for the next 20 minutes as I finish off this passage, would you be challenged and take deep encouragement that Paul will be an example to us that that is not where it ends in the life of a Christian? That we are called to do much more and be about much more than just being deeply disturbed at something. If I look back on your Facebook posts in the last year and all I see is this deeply disturbed And then I ask, well, what did you do about it? Take encouragement and be challenged in where Paul goes with this at this point. So that's his setting up till now. Athens, idols, that's his setting, right? Let's go on verse 17 here if you take a look at this. He went to the synagogue to reason with the Jews and the God-fearing Gentiles, and he spoke daily in the public square to all who happened to be there. So let me make sure you understand this. So he went to the town and he started to share and preach. He went to the synagogue where the Jews, who the, the Hebrews, the Israelites, they were God's chosen 
people. At the time, this group of Jews, being as far away from Jerusalem as they were, didn't have any knowledge of Jesus Christ, at least not to the level that Paul will later talk and share. He went and talked with the God-fearing Gentiles. These were non-Jewish people who had, had converted, who had said, I'm going to follow the, the laws of the Jewish ways. I'm going to follow this one true God. And then we find he went into this public square to all who happened to be there. Now, the, the idea about this public square is that it's just anybody who was in earshot that Paul would just go and kind of set up shop and just start to share and start to preach. If you remember way back and me growing up on the West Coast, I remember that like Venice Beach was known for this, that you would go and you'd kind of set up your, your soapbox and you would just kind of preach whatever it is you were wanting to preach that day. Maybe it had nothing to do with God, but you were just preaching or selling your product or whatever you want to do. It was just kind of an open air thing to go at it. We don't function quite the same way today, but we do function in our social media this way. Uh, try to draw your audience, your following, anyone that will listen to what I have to say. Can I spread my philosophy? Can I tell you about, you know, what, what I do in life and how I live? And in some way, can I influence you as well? That's our version of this marketplace that Paul walks into. And so he goes in here and he starts to share about Jesus Christ for anyone that would listen. Now, this being Athens, Though he went to the synagogue and there was God-fearing Gentiles there, the dominant population of the day in Athens would have been Gentiles that knew nothing about Jesus Christ. And when I say nothing, that's not a far stretch of the phrase. Nothing about Jesus Christ, as we'll learn later when he actually shares with this group. The Agora is what this is called, this marketplace that he's in. And he is sharing for anyone that wants to hear. Now, can you imagine if you went to Harris Teeter this afternoon. And Harris Teeter can get a little busy on Sunday afternoons. And you just decided, I'm going to take the busiest aisle or I'm going to take the checkout area. And I'm just going to get, you know, those little microphones that, that, you know, you can clip them right here and you hold the mic and, and you just talk. And you just go at it, sharing. Probably not going to go super well for you if, if that's what you decide to do. Um, but understand this context is, is very acceptable. It's what happened in the day. So it made perfect sense for Paul to go here and to preach this way. What does he say? What does he talk about? Well, we, we know that he went to the synagogue. If you flip just a few pages back, you'll see in Acts chapter 13, we get this little glimpse of what he would say when he went to talk to the Jews or the God-fearing Gentiles. Let me just read this to you. Acts chapter 13, starting in, in verse verse. Uh, Verse 14, but Paul and Barnabas traveled inland to Antioch of Pisidia. On the Sabbath day, they went to the synagogue for the services. After the usual readings from the book of Moses and the prophets, those in charge of the service, it's like a worship service there in the synagogue, sent them this message. Brothers, if you have any word of encouragement for the people, come and give it. He's in the synagogue. These Jewish folks or these Gentiles that have converted... And they've said, come share a word with us. So, verse 16, Paul stood, lifted his hand to quiet them, and started speaking. Men of Israel, he said, and you God-fearing Gentiles, listen to me. The God of this nation of Israel chose our ancestors and made them multiply and grow strong during their stay in Egypt. Do you remember the story in the Old Testament? The days in Egypt. 
Then there was a powerful arm he led out led them out of slavery. He put up with them for 40 years of wandering in the wilderness. Do you remember the story, the plagues and the escape and wandering the wilderness? Yes. Then he destroyed seven nations in Canaan and gave their land to Israel as an inheritance. All this took about 450 years. Is Paul telling this group of Jewish people a story they had not heard before? No. They knew this history. It was their history. And Paul was sharing this. Why? Because Paul's desire, and if you read on in that passage, is to tell them about Jesus Christ. And so the way he did it with the Jewish folks in the synagogue was to say, let me tell you, and let me start with your scriptures. Let me start with the Bible as they knew it at the time, the law and the prophets. And I want to recount, and I want to tell you about your history and how God interacted with you in your history. And he leads them all the way up to later in this chapter talking about Jesus Christ. It would make perfect sense then for him when he talked to the Jewish folks, for the God-fearing Gentiles who had converted over and probably had now heard about these stories to start with their Old Testament and make their way forward. But what about these Gentiles in Athens? What about these, these art and and philosophy head place, so the, the way these people thought, who had probably never heard about Jesus Christ, think about him coming in and starting and launching into it. Well, let, let's look at how he does do this. Verse 24 of chapter 17. I'll just read it. I don't think it'll be on your screen. It says, he is the God who made the world and everything in it. He's talking to this group now. Since he is the Lord of heaven and earth, he doesn't live in man-made temples like your idols. Does Paul use any scripture to talk to these people of Athens who had never heard about Christ here? He doesn't. He doesn't get into it that way. You think about him coming in and talking to this group who had never heard about Jesus, knew nothing about the history of the Israelites, and think about him coming in and saying, let me walk through the histories of the Jews with you as a way to entice you to talk about Jesus. Is it going to work very well? Not at all. Let me put this in your modern context for you. Uh, you come in here on Sunday mornings and uh, you sit down in these seats and you look up here and our, our music team will come up and they will invite you to stand and then they will go into singing some songs, right? These songs are, are gospel songs. I mean, they're worship type of songs. You read the lyrics, you sing the lyrics, you declare your praise to God. And sometimes like you're declaring like through hard circumstances, you will still praise him. Some of our songs actually trace some of the history of the Christian faith, or, or they walk through Bible verses and passages. Sometimes we sing a song that has the word blood in it quite a bit. It's understandable, though, for our context, right? For you to sing about the blood of Christ makes perfect sense. After three or four songs, and Pastor Anson might share a few announcements with you, you allow me to come up and to talk to you. And, and really, usually for the 35 minutes or so, uh, you sit in those chairs and you let me speak. I see your eyeballs, so I think like for the most part, you actually stay awake and pay attention and engage in here for 35 or 40 minutes, right? Now imagine that I go to my gym and I go tomorrow afternoon, 5.15, busiest class. And at 5.15, I have brought along Pastor Anson on, on keys, you know, 
I brought along Andrew to play the drums. And we're set up in the gym, full praise band. And just as the class is starting, I'm going to say, hey, everybody in class today, I would like if you would just, you know, stand with me and we're going to sing a few songs. Could you imagine how that would go? It would make no sense in that context whatsoever. Let alone them letting me stand up, open God's word, and for 35 or 40 minutes to share with them and orate what God might be saying. That would make no sense in that context. But what if I just had a little side five-minute conversation with someone and I happened to hear about their mom being sick or, or some circumstance in their life and I just said, hey, I don't, know, I don't know if you believe in this. I don't know where you're at, but I'm big into prayer. Would you mind if I just prayed with you on that? I've never had anyone say no to me on that. And what if I said, well, do you mind? I don't want to make this awkward, but do you mind if I like prayed right now with you? I'll make it, I'll make it quick. I've never had anyone say, no, absolutely not, on that. How would that context work? Think about Paul in a different context now, looking for the opportunity to share and to speak. And so instead of saying, let me walk you through the history of the Old Testament, he says, let me tell you what I see in this town. You got idols everywhere. I want to tell you about a God who actually doesn't live in any idol, doesn't live in any man-made temple. An intriguing word, as we would find later in the passage, and you're welcome to read on your own. That's his, his audience there, the Jews, God-fearing Gentiles, and then anyone else who happens to listen in the marketplace. Verse 18, he also had this debate with some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers. When he told them about Jesus and his resurrection, they said, what's this babbler trying to say about these strange idea he picked up? Others said he seems to be preaching about some foreign gods. Remember I said it's the town of, of the philosophy, the, the philosophical hub, and here we have these Epicurean and Stoic philosophers. Now, I spent a lot of my uh, life, even as a Christian, even though I went to Bible school and seminary and stuff, flying right over words like that, like uh, Epicurean, Stoic. I'd say, those just are all philosophers out there, and just moved right on. And I'd lump them kind of in one category. They were like philosophers, but as I've gotten older and I've started to read and find out what, what's an Epicurean, what's a Stoic, what are we talking about here in these philosophies? Well, Stoics uh, follow a, a guy named Zeno who was in a Stoa, and, and his teaching basically led to this idea that you could not really know God. You couldn't really know. Like, there was this spiritual force and power, and if you called it God, okay, but it kind of worked in and through things that happened in our world, but you couldn't really know. There was nothing relational or personable. You would not speak of this God as a persona. It was just a a power, uh, something that just worked in and through different types of things. So you couldn't really know. And so the focus would be on, like, this self-mastery, like our self-discipline and like bringing your thoughts uh, in control and your actions in control, um, quieting yourself and focusing that way. That would be like the gist and the focus of this, this Stoic philosophy. What's the movie? Star Wars. Now what happens with, with Luke Skywalker, these characters in the story, um, uh, as they're using the force, there is this desire to bring your thoughts and your emotions uh, under control, and the force will help you 
do that. It, really, that movie, if, if, you, if you watch through, not that movie, those set of movies, if you watch through it, um, it is like stoic philosophy with, uh, with spaceships and lasers and all that kind of stuff that goes along with it. And this works in and through our culture today. We say things like, boyfriend, girlfriend, fate brought us together. Stoic type of thinking there. Or, or we say things like, well, karma's going to get you. That, that's a stoic type. That there's this force, there's this, this spiritual force that works in and through things, but you can't know it. You can't really have relationship with it. Uh, how about we, we say things like, hey, uh, send, your, send your good energies my way today. I've, I've got a surgery. I need your good energies, your good vibes. Would you send them my way? I've never try, been able to understand the correlation of me thinking good thoughts here and them affecting you there. But that would be stoic philosophy. They would think, no, it does work that way. Do you know anybody who's kind of wrapped up in stoic philosophy? They may not title it there, but do you function with anyone who talks this way or speaks this way? Listen, believers in Christ, you never have to say the phrase, wish me luck. Good luck. It's stoic philosophy. We would say according to God's word, like it doesn't exist. There's variables, right? There's odds to things in our world. But luck, fate, karma, we would say that doesn't, that doesn't exist. That's a stoic philosophical type of mindset. This power, this force is out there. You can't really know it. Now, the Epicureans are on the other side. You know what they're saying? They're looking at Stoics and they're saying, dude, lighten up. Lighten up. This is, this is it. This life you live, this is all you have right here. So just live it. Uh, you want to you you know, party it up with, with uh, you know, good times, great. You don't, great. But just live your life. This is what you have here. Now, they wouldn't necessarily say they don't believe in God, but really they're like practical atheists here. I mean, they, they, they might believe there's something out there, but you function, and the way you function in life doesn't really give any credence or witness to the existence of God at all. And so these Epicureans would say, hey, you only have one life, you know, live it up, just do it, those type of things. I wonder, do you, do you know any Epicureans? Do, do you know anyone that functions in this way of life? Our postmodern culture is flooded with this type of thinking. So when Paul is here and he's looking at this, I mean, think about this. When he's looking at this group, you have this group here who uh, basically believes there's energy, spiritual energy through and through, but no relational. You have this group over here says there's really no such thing. Just you got one life, live it. When you go to the grave, that's it. It's over. Paul in the middle, and it's like, Paul, tell him about Jesus. Can you relate? Would you like that setting? But that's where Paul's out. This is his audience. Can I tell you, it doesn't feel like we've changed anything from the time of Paul to now. That these thoughts are dominant among our day as well. And if we're not careful, even as Christians, we allow these type of thinkings to kind of sneak into our life. When we as Christians, you know, believe in some of the mystical or, or karma-driven type of things, or when we as Christians believe that entertainment is of such high, high value in our life, we're buying in once again to this Epicurean Stoic philosophy. That's Paul's setting. That's where he's at to speak and to share with this group. But what do we find? 
that we find that with the Jewish people, he starts with the Old Testament. And with this group, he starts with the idols that are in front of him. What do we really have here? We have two methods. Hang on, I'm losing it here. We've got two different methods that Paul uses. One method is with one person and one with another. How many messages, though, does Paul have to share? It's one. The message of Jesus Christ is what he has to share. It doesn't matter if he starts with the Old Testament scriptures or if he starts with, with just this declaration of these idols that he sees in front of him. He is getting to the message of Jesus Christ. And that's what he shares there. In fact, to this day, uh, we have different methods, right? And when we get up and, and sing on Sunday mornings, we sing uh, in a style, in a way that might be different than another church. Who's right? Well, we're right because, I mean, this is contemporary society. We should be singing contemporary ways, right? You know, we want people to kind of feel like they're singing in the style that they, they know throughout the week, right? Another would say, no, 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 we're doing it right because you want to tie in the tradition of the, the church through the hymns and the culture of the church that goes back generations and generations. Well, who's right in that argument? Neither, neither. There's value in both statements. There's value in both things that people believe and have conviction on, but they're both methods. What's the method, message? Of that church and this church, the message is Jesus Christ. And that's what we find with Paul here. That's what he's really doing here. So how has he responded to? Uh, we find that it, in this passage, he said, they say, these, these philosophers, what's this babbler trying to say? Uh, has that ever been declared of you? Has anyone ever asked that question of you? What uh, is this babbler trying to say? Um, sometimes, I mean, they've said about me when my preaching. Um, other times, you know, I'm just trying to explain something at my house. And, you know, one of my very loving kids is saying to me, maybe one of the term babbler, but it's pretty close. You know, like, Dad, I don't know what you're talking about, Dad. Um, or, you know, you might just get the teenage. So that... Uh, is saying, what is this babbler talking about here? Um, So Paul shares with them, right? The debate is the word, and that word in Greek basically means the back and forth of information. So don't necessarily look at it as they're arguing, but the back and forth of information here. And this is what they say. What is this babbler trying to say with the strange idea he's picked up? What's this babbler? Now, here's an interesting little word here, this word babbler. It's actually two words. It's the word sperma, which you may remember from seventh grade sex ed class, um, and the word uh, legus, which comes from the phrase legus my agus. Um, so, not really, not really. So, no, but sperma actually comes from the, the word sperm, which means seed, Okay, And this word legus actually means to carry or to bring along. And so the idea here of, of this word uh, babbler is actually the, the word sperma legus. And it actually is the idea of like a bird that goes and picks up seed and then flies it over to some other location. And it's not a seed they consume, so they drop the seed over here and they take some over here and they drop it over here and you start to see things laying on the ground or in different areas that you're like, well, that, that isn't supposed to be there. How did it get there? Well, Spermalegos brought it there. It, it was this, this idea. And so it became like a little bit of a, a slang term and a, um, a little bit of a derogatory term, just like we might call somebody like a donkey or something. I mean, they would call somebody Spermalegos a babbler. 
That was the idea of this word. So when they looked at Paul, they said, what is this little bird picked up somewhere and trying to drop here in our town? That's how they first looked at it. Can I tell you that if you share the name of Jesus Christ, whether you do it in a super loving way, which I certainly hope you do, that you graciously looking for the open door that God might be using to talk to somebody about Jesus, there are often still times somebody might look at you and go, what is these strange things this person's talking about? What is this babbler? Where did they pick up these thoughts? Well, then they were six years old, their parents taught them. And so, you know, it's just stuck. They, they don't really know what they believe. It just was locked in there years ago. And you, even in the lovingest of ways to, to share, this happens. But here's the great thing, and you'll read on in your own time. We find that for Paul, he gets the opportunity to actually share with a greater audience here because of how he shares about Jesus with this small audience. To say that how he shares with, with these philosophers opens up this door, the intrigue for them to say, why don't you come to our meeting and share with the whole group that gathers? And we find that later in this chapter. You know, the setting, I think, is similar. The audience that Paul goes to is very similar to us today. Paul uses different methods to talk to them. We use different methods today. Can I tell you, though, I think this all hinges on one verse. So if you'd look back in our closing time, let me just look at verse 15 of this passage. If you have your Bible, I'll read it to you, uh, or you can read along. If not, just, just listen in here. Verse 15, before this whole passage in Athens starts, says this, Those escorting Paul went with him all the way to Athens. There was some problems going on in Thessalonica and then Berea, so they took him all the way to Athens to get away from these 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 problems. It could have been life-threatening for Paul. When they returned to Berea with the instructions for Silas and Timothy to hurry and join him. What is Paul doing? He's escorted to to Athens, and he's told, come here and wait. And the instructions were Silas and Timothy, these two guys that had been traveling around with him, teaching about Jesus Christ and launching churches— they're going to come, come hurry and join Paul here. What do you think is going to happen in Athens? What do you think is going to happen when Paul, as he's waiting, and Silas and Timothy finally show up to Athens? The same thing that's been happening. They're going to go in and they're going to start sharing with the Jews in the synagogue. They're going to start sharing the word of Jesus Christ. And there's going to be multiple converts. There was in every town they went to. Some huge amounts of success, others seemingly moderate, but anytime somebody says yes to Jesus, there was a great victory. We found it in every single town they went into, and then what happened? They planted churches, and they put somebody in charge of that church. And the way we know this is if you read the, the New Testament, and there's several of those books we call the epistles or the letters, often those are letters written to those churches that were started. In fact, we find a church started in the town of Ephesus. And you know what happened in Ephesus? Paul says, Timothy, stay there. You're going to be the pastor of this church. Stick on. You're you're going to grow up this church. And we find that they did. In fact, in 40 years, we find in Ephesus that it switched from a fairly pagan town to a Christian town. In about 40-year period, Timothy was the one that stayed on and church planted there in Ephesus. That's what's going to happen here. 
Paul's waiting for these guys to join him, and as he's waiting, you ever waiting on anyone? I mean, do you, I don't know if Timothy and Silas were guys like, that always roll in late. Um, do you live with anyone like that, that always rolls in late? Are you ever honking the horn in the driveway? It doesn't work. I, I just want to tell you, declare that from God's word. It doesn't, it doesn't work, and there's a lot more peace in your household if you don't push that horn, all right? Um, that's, all, that's just side information. It's free. Why Paul is waiting here, why he's waiting to plant a church, to go share the word of God, to assimilate these people uh, into a, a place where they can be discipled and grow up in Jesus Christ, Paul looks and he's just like, I know I'm waiting for Timothy and Silas, but my heart is so moved I'm so disturbed by what I see. When I look around and I see there's no Jesus anywhere. I'm so moved by that. We find in that that second verse here, what? He went. He went and he did something. That that Paul said, look, I, I can't quite wait here. My heart is so moved and so disturbed. I'm going to go and start sharing the name of Jesus Christ. Listen, church, if we're not careful... There are sometimes God puts us in these settings. He gives us the audience. He even gives you creativity to kind of know the method to share the one message. And there are times when our response is different than Paul's. It's, ah, we'll just kind of wait and see what happens. We'll just kind of hang on. Who knows, maybe, maybe my company will hire another Christian. And when they hire another Christian, maybe, you know, like the two of us can really rally together and we can share about Jesus in this place. You know, it's it's not the right time. Our company's kind of sagging in profits right now and everyone's a little tense, a little on edge. I'm going to kind of wait till times really pick up and things are really cranking. Then, I mean, I'm on it. Students, I I go to a secular school and I'm going to wait till I get out of high school because I'm going to get into a Christian college. And then, you know, like it'll be wide open. I can share with people about Jesus. If we're not careful, we can reason right away when God is saying, look, I've given you the setting. I've showed you the audience. And I'm letting you use whatever method you want as long as the message is the message of God's word. What's holding you back? What's keeping you from going? Can I just make a confession to you, church, right now? Because I'm susceptible at this time, even as your pastor, time to drift into silly thinking. There have been several times over the last year or so, I don't know, three or four times, when like just sitting quietly, sometimes laying in my bed at night trying to figure things out, you know, as you're trying to drift off. Those two things never really go together. Um, But as I'm trying to, there's been those times I'm like, you know, God, you know what? When we opened the doors of a new church, new church building, saw the signs when you walked in this morning, man, you're really going to take off and grow our church. And there's going to be, there's going to be people that come that don't know you as their savior or people that are like, I haven't been in church since I was 12 years old, but this was on my street. So I thought I'd roll in. But there's a phrase that's a danger, danger zone, even for your pastor to think. When we get into the church and everything else that follows, can I tell you right now that you, don't not, you do not need a church building to reach somebody for Jesus Christ. You don't need padded chairs out there to reach somebody for Jesus Christ. And you can be in a gymatorium is what we're in. And I know when you walk in, you got the lowered hoops. You know, you're like, I think I could dunk on that every time. You're just too nervous to try. Um, like, that's our setting, right? 
God can reach people for Jesus Christ there. In fact, you can just reach them for Jesus Christ at your work, where you go. And so I want to encourage you and challenge you this morning to take the words of Paul and to know your setting, your audience, whatever method is open, and then just go and share the message, whatever it might look like. And who knows, even with Paul here, in the, in the capital of philosophy, the godless culture, we find that people came to know Jesus as their Savior. Let me pray for you. And as I pray, here's what I want you to do. I just want you to think of the names. Let them come to your head. Let them roll through. And as they're in there, would you just lift them up to God and say, God, any way, shape, form you want to use me to share the message with this person, I will be obedient to do it. Let's pray. Father, I just want to lift, lift this church up. I want to ask right now, Lord, that you would use this church in a mighty, mighty way to reach people for your name. Lord, I know that sitting right here, that each person that, that took it to heart, they're, they're lifting up names, and there might be three or four or five names that, that sink in right now that they know this person's far from you, God. Maybe they had a relationship early on in their life, but it went south, and it's, they've never revisited it. Maybe they've never come to know you. Lord, we're living with the first generation of adults who the dominant number have never grown up in church. That's how our culture is changing. And Father, there's some names on that list I know that people just put in their heads and that just shared with you, Lord. And so, Father, I just want to pray right here, right now, that God, if you would tell us, I've put you in the setting, this is your audience, you just name the names. I'm wide open. Whatever method is necessary, just share my message the truth about the hope that's found in Christ Jesus. Would you, church, would you be obedient to that calling? Would you know that every time and when you open your eyes in a second that every open chair in this room, every chair is a reminder of a name of somebody in your life that doesn't know Jesus Christ. And God has called us, just like the words of Paul here, to not say, well, this is not really a, Christian setting. There's not really a clear avenue. Like Paul this morning, you created the avenue. You just asked Paul to kind of walk in obedience. Lord, at the core, I think I want to pray on every single person here is what Paul had. That when he looked and he said, there's no Jesus here, that he was deeply disturbed. And Father, I know that tomorrow morning there's many people in this room, they'll go to their job, they'll sit in a cubicle or in an a, 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 a open desk area, Lord, and, and they will look across or they'll walk across as they walk down the hallway and they will say, there's no Jesus here. There's no Jesus. And Father, would like Paul, would we say, well, then that's my job. That's my, my calling to find the avenue to bring Jesus into this setting. Father, guide us and lead us in that way. When we're nervous and scared, would you remind us the power of your Holy Spirit to be a witness, as Acts tells us, to your name anywhere we go. We pray it in your son's name this morning. Amen. 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 Well,